Good morning. If you would go ahead and turn to Second Samuel chapter two. Second Samuel chapter two. While you're going there, I'm going to ask you, have you ever heard of the the concept called the already but not yet? <clears throat> the already but not yet. If you haven't heard the concept, then I'm sure you, you know it, you just don't know it by that name. Uh, the idea is that uh, there are some benefits or, or, or attributes of redemption that we experience now, that we know now, but there are some attributes or some uh, benefits of redemption that are in the not yet, that aren't here yet, that'll come in the second coming or, or in heaven. Uh, for example, we, you know, we experience the all-readiness of atonement because we are forgiven of our sins now. We're adopted as sons now, and already we, we are adopted, uh, and we're already given the Spirit. But there are other things in the not yet, like a, like a resurrection, New bodies, glorification, those kind of things are in the not yet. We actually kind of just think about it. When we sing, there is a Redeemer, we sing, uh, when I stand in glory. That's talking about the not yet. And then at the end we say, uh, and thank you for leaving your spirit to the work on here is done. That's part of the already. So you see there's, there's attributes of both the already and the not yet. Uh, the reason that I bring this up um, is because the... The not yet is guaranteed. It is an absolute guarantee for those who put their trust in Jesus. It is an absolute promise. Um, and what we're going to see in, in David, and what we continue to see in, in this kind of area of, of 2 Samuel, is that David has been promised the kingdom. That is uh, a guarantee. And he's already kind of king. He's, he's partly king, but he's not king over all of Israel just yet. So that's the not yet to come. He's been promised this, and it's guaranteed. It's as real as, as us sitting here right now, but it hasn't yet happened fully. It's very similar to, to our redemption. It, it's partly already, and it's partly not yet. Uh, so that's kind of what we see in David. And we come to a very interesting passage, uh, as, we're, as we're going to see here in 2 Samuel. So if you would, look at chapter 2, and then we're going to start in verse 8, where we left off last week. And we're going to go through verse 32, through the end of the chapter. All right, so let's read. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanam. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites, and Jezreel, and Ephraim, and Benjamin, and all of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkath-Hazerim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And there three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abashai, and Ashel. 
Now Asael was swift as foot as a wild gazelle, and Asael pursued Abner as he went, and turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asael? And he said, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asael would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asael, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asael had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abashai pursued Abner as the sun was going down. They came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would have not given up pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanam. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants nineteen men besides a cell. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin three hundred and sixty of Abner's men, and they took up a cell and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Let's pray. The Lord, I thank you for this time that we have to, to read. Your word, dear God, uh, we pray that you would help us uh, to keep names straight and to keep sides of, of the story straight, dear God. As I pray that you would help me to do so and to teach it clearly, dear God, in a way that makes sense and is glorifying to you. I pray that you would just mold us by it and convict us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Like I said, we come to an interesting passage this morning. We see battle and uh, a pursuit, a uh, race almost, um, and has been tracking along the text here, we've, we've seen the downfall of Saul, uh, and we see that ultimately at his death. We see the uprising of, of David, but there's a vacancy in the throne when Saul dies that should be exclusively David's, right? David is the new anointed, uh, anointed one. So that's what we saw in 1 Samuel. After Saul's downfall, he goes and he anoints David to be the next king. So he should be the exclusive king of Israel. However, Israel is not exactly united. So this is in turn kind of sets up the conflict that we're going to see here in 2 Samuel in this passage. So I know we just read a large chunk, but our passage started out with the word but. So we need to back up just a little bit to see what that word but is about. So let's read in verses 4 through 7. We're going to back up just a little bit and see why verse 8 starts out with the phrase but Abner. All right, so... Look at the paragraph right there that starts with verse 4. It says, When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do to you because you have done this. I'll do good to you because you have done this thing. 
Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So we see here that David is essentially blessing the people of Jabesh Gilead. He's saying, you've done this, this good thing, and I want to reward you uh, because you gave Saul a proper burial. You see, David was very concerned with, the, with respect for Saul as he was the Lord's anointed. Even throughout his death and to his burial, he wanted to be sure that a man who once served as king of Israel, as God's anointed, would be treated with respect. But it's more than just a reward. It's more than just him saying thank you. It's also an invitation. He is saying, will you come and join my kingdom? He's saying, you have done good and I want to do good to you. He says, be strong and be valiant. And then he reminds them, he says, for Saul, your Lord is dead. So in lieu of that, he's saying, come and join me. Join, uh, submit to my authority. He says, the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. He's basically saying, y'all do the same thing. Make me king over Israel as well. Your king is dead. Now submit to this authority that God has given me as the next anointed. You see, David's very patient all the while Saul was alive. He didn't pursue Saul's death. He didn't try to speed up the process of his becoming king. But now that Saul is dead, it, it is his time to be king. He is the Lord's anointed. Uh, so he extends this invite, and this is where we pick up today. We pick up with this, but. So he says, will you join my kingdom? Can I be your king as well? Uh, and it says, but Abner. So perhaps they would have, but we see, but Abner the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Maham, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites. And goes on list all the different areas, and basically all of Israel except Judah. So he very quickly and hastily makes Ishbosheth uh, the king, who would be assumedly Saul's second-born son, uh, and he makes him king over all of Israel except Judah, which is the, where David is king of. Now, David has had a lot of respect for people who have stuck to Saul's side. He just kind of blesses, he gives a, a, a speech of blessing, a thank you to the people of Jabesh Gilead for their loyalty, even though that meant pursuing him. Like, he's saying, you know, I respect your loyalty to Saul, even though that meant chasing me down and trying to kill me. Uh, and he's thankful for their loyalty. Uh, but how do we look at Abner's dedication to Saul's family? Do we, do we see it in a similar light? Do we say, maybe Abner doesn't know that David the Lord's anointed. Maybe he still thinks Saul's family is the anointed family. Maybe he's just trying to uphold God's, uh, God's anointed in, a, in that way. So should we see it like that, or do we see this as some kind of sin where Abner is trying to do something on his own, do something outside of the will of God? Now, I think it's important that we, that we talk about this about Abner because Abner is going to play a large part not only in this passage today but in the next couple passages. He actually plays a large part for Israel during this time. He makes Ishbosheth the king, uh, but he's really the one pulling the strings. He's really the one who's kind of acting as king. He's calling the shots. Um, so, uh, like I said, do we see this action of Abner to make Saul son or king? Do we see that as uh, as upholding and being faithful to God, or do we see it as him trying to do something to, to, to grow his own strength and his own pride? And then here's, the, here's the kicker. Here's the question we have to ask. Does Abner know? Does he know that Saul is no longer the anointed or that his family is no longer in line to be 
the kings of Israel. Does he know that? Does he know what we know? Because we know that. We saw where God condemned Saul and his family and removed him from the throne. But does Abner know that? We don't normally look ahead. We like to look back more than ahead. But tonight or today we're going to look ahead just, just one chapter. So if you would flip to chapter 3, verse 9. And this is going to answer that question for us. This is going to show us... Uh, exactly the answer to what we're, what we're asking. Does he know? Because if he knows, then we can say this is, he is acting sinful. He's acting out of God's will. But if he doesn't know, we can say it may still be sinful, but maybe it's, it's more so out of ignorance than it is just transgression. So let's look at chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. He says, all right, and this is, I got to tell you, this is kind of strange. He is speaking, but he's speaking in third person. He's uh, in a, kind of an argument with the king, Ishbosheth, and he's made him mad. And so out of spite, he says this, speaking in third person, this is Abner talking. He says, God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. Uh, so that answers the question there. That answers the question. Does, does Abner know... That, that David is no longer, I mean, that Saul is no longer the king, or, or that his line should no longer be kings. Yes, he knows it. And not only does he know that Saul had a downfall, that, that Saul was removed, but he also knows of David, of God's promise to David. And despite knowing that, despite knowing that God has a plan for David, and that God, that God has a will uh, for David to be king, he still chooses his own way. He still chooses to act out of his own will. And in doing so, he turns his back on David, the Lord's anointed, <laughs> And then more grievously, God Himself, the Lord Himself. So this was no mistake. Him rushing to make uh, Saul's son king wasn't Him trying to preserve the kingdom or trying to preserve God's people. It was Him acting selfishly and it was a willful transgression of the will of God. He knew that David was to be king. So now as we walk through the rest of this passage and we see the rest of the actions that Abner takes, we can kind of see where his heart is. Because we see a couple more events are going to take place. And Abner is the main character in these, really. We see very little from David. We see a lot from Abner here in this passage. And so now we kind of have an idea of where his heart is, what his goal is, what his motives is. And he may make some decisions that seem um, gracious. He may make some decisions that make him seem like a good man. But we know that he's not blameless before the Lord, which is something that we could say of David. Not that he's perfect, but that he's turned his eyes to the Lord and his trust in him. That's not something that we can say of Abner as it appears. So I just want you to remember that as we continue to work through some of these events. Uh, we're going to see actually three uh, major events that take <coughs> excuse me, three major events that take place. And what we're going to see is that despite all the odds being against David and his most likely small number of men compared to Israel's likely large army, and, and commanders and, and uh, military experience and those kind of things, we're going to see that God will continuously preserve His people, continuously preserve David and His servants. Uh, we see His provision and protection over them uh, because God has a plan for David. God has this idea for David, this will for David. Uh, and then you also see that Abner has his own plan, but Abner's plan isn't going to trump God's plan. Abner's plan isn't going to uh, going to succeed over God's plan to make David king over Israel. So the first event, like I said, we got three events. The first major event is this contest or battle that we see around verses 14 and 15. The reason that I say contest and battle is because it's hard to tell where one ends and where one picks up. Look at verse 
14 and 15 there. You see Abner requests this contest to Joab, and Joab accepts. Uh, this seems to be the first encounter these two separate kingdoms have had. It's the first icebreaker of this stalemate that has happened. Uh, again, notice who's calling the shots for Israel. Abner, right? Abner's the one making these decisions, not the king. Likewise, we don't hear much from David. So it seems as though the kings are absent from this, uh, and they have their kind of second-in-commands kind of leading the way and kind of calling a shot. So let's think about this contest for a minute. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know it ended in the contestants being or killing one another. Just this most likely bloody and gory event. And it doesn't seem that it has a reason. We're not given a reason for this contest. It, they didn't say, it's not like when, when David fought Goliath, where uh, the winner basically won for their whole nation, right? It, it doesn't seem to be like that. It seems really just to be a pointless kind of pleasure to watch for Abner. Uh, maybe Joab also, but we see that, that kind of a little bit, of, again, of Abner's heart. We see that he has very little respect for, for life. We see as he kind of offers up this idea, it doesn't seem to <coughs> excuse me, have any good real reason for it. It just seems to be just, just to have. And so we see he has a, a very lack of respect, something that David really wouldn't have agreed to had he been there. It doesn't seem like David would have. Um, and we tend to look past that. When we read through the text, we look, we look past that and say, maybe that's just the culture. Maybe that's just something they always did. But it doesn't seem like this is normal. And it doesn't seem like this is something that we should just look past. It really shows us that, that Abner is a poor moral leader for his people. Uh, he may be a good warrior, maybe even a good commander, but, but seems to be a very poor moral character. Um, doesn't have the character that David has to lead Israel. So we can see why it's important that, that, that David becomes king. Because Abner is no leader for his people that David would be. But regardless, we see this contest take place. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to drink a water. But we see this, uh, this contest takes place after all. Twelve warriors on each side, they go and they fight each other, and it leads to their death. Now, we're not told who won, who won the contest, right? It doesn't tell us that. But what we know is that it leads into this full-fledged battle. So apparently there were lots of people around, and at the end of the contest or during the contest, all these people jump in, and it turns into a full-fledged battle. And we're told in verse... 17, that the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. The thing about this battle is, it's unnecessary. This was a civil war, basically. This is brothers fighting brothers. We see that <coughs> phrase later on, that they're fighting their own brothers, they're fighting other Israelites. But if Abner had only submitted to God's authority then maybe we wouldn't see this battle. Or if Abner wouldn't have been so, so anxious to start this civil war, if he wouldn't have said, let's have a contest, it kind of stirs things up, maybe we wouldn't see this war take place and this bloodshed might not would have happened. But never mind, it, it happens anyways, and the war has begun, and it's actually far from over. And this brings us to our second major event. So there was a battle. We don't give a lot of details in the actual battle, but we know that Israel, or that, that David's men win. They defeat Abner's men, but it's not over, uh, and we see the pursuit of Abner by a cell. It seems that uh, 
He wants to further this, this battle. It's not over for a sale. He wants to chase down Abner. Look at verse 18 and 19. It says, And the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab of Ashai and Asael. Now Asael was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. So he's fast. And Asael pursued Abner, and he went. He turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. So he's chasing him. Like I said, it seems the battle is, is over, but he's continuing. He's pushing. He's chasing them back. Uh, most likely they're, on, they're kind of retreating and he is following them. And it says that he won't turn from the left or the right. He is simply going after Abner. And then look at what Abner suggests in verse 21. As he's being chased, he says, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left hand and seize the young men and take his spoil. So he says, Don't, don't get me. Get one of these slower guys. Take one of them that you're passing. And so we, we've already seen that he has a disrespect for life, but here he just offers up one of his, one of his subordinates, and he says, take them. Don't, don't take me. Take their spoil. Kill them. All in an attempt to stop a cell from chasing him. But he does not stop. He does not turn. He stays straight. Abner gives him one final warning. He says, uh, look there in verse... Uh, 22, he says, Turn aside from following me, this final warning. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refuses, and it ends with uh, Saul being killed by Abner with a sword through his stomach. We can pause here and just see a, a kind of a sad bit of irony for Asael and, and his death. His greatest strength was his speed. Most likely. He was fast. It was a God-given strength, a God-given speed. But the misuse of it led to his death. He relied only on it. He didn't have a plan. He didn't have people with him. He ran by himself ahead of his people, uh, and it led to his death. You see, uh, Asael was most likely trying to win a trophy for himself. To go and get the commander's armor would have been a big pat on his back. He could have said, look what I got. We won the battle and I got Abner's armor. I killed Abner. So he's most likely trying to uh, get himself this big trophy. God had already given them a victory, uh, a great victory, a great start to this war, but he wants more. He wants this trophy. So he uses this God-given gift wrongly, and it, and it leads to his demise. It leads to his death. And so we can think about that in the gifts that we have. We have God-given gifts, God-given strengths. Uh, and if we use them rightly, God will bless us for, for using those. But if we use them on our own, they can lead us astray. As we say, a sales gift led him astray. So we should use what, what God gives us wisely. And we should use it uh, according to, to his plan the best we can. And, and there will be blessings that follow that God will give us because of that. But anyways, continue on to verse 24 through 28, and we see this final piece of action. Let's, let's actually read that again to refresh ourselves there. It says, But Joab and Abashai pursued Abner. Okay, so the two brothers are still falling. They just, their, their brother just died, but they're still going to follow. It says, And the sun was going down. As the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gia, on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? 
And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. So, like I said, the two brothers, they continue to chase Abner, and they have more people with them. They're trying to continue this battle all through the night. Like I said, God had already given them a victory, but they wanted more. They wanted more bloodshed, more, uh, more wins over uh, Israel. However, we see that luckily Abner is able to persuade Joab to stop the fighting, at least for now, to stop the battle. While it may seem like a, like a retreat for Israel, I mean, for, for David's men, it's really a blessing that Abner is able to convince them to stop. It's a blessing because uh, it seems they were about to push God's blessing, God's uh, granting them a victory over here. They're just going to push it and push it more into the night. And, and fighting in the night wasn't a common practice for Israel. Uh, and it was at least night or close to night. Uh, and think about this, Abner and their men, they had already regrouped. They had gotten back together, and they, had, they were on top of a hill. So in a military standpoint, they had an advantage over David's servants. So this, was a, this, this retreat, this backing down from battle, was a good chance for David's men to, to come back, to regroup, uh, and to, to debrief about the battle. And I thought about this just this morning, though, is that the goal of, of this battle isn't, isn't death. This is a civil war. So the goal for David's men shouldn't be to kill every single Israelite, because that's God's people. The goal of this battle is to reunite this kingdom, to reunite God's people. So God is preserving His people by causing this battle to end when it did. Otherwise, there would have been more bloodshed, more death of God's people. But God is preserving His people. Not just David's servants, but all of Israel who would eventually be under David. And then... Finally, as part of this last event, this retreat and this debrief, uh, we learned that Israel lost 20 people. 20 people. It says they lost 19, not counting a cell. So 20 people. And we're told uh, in verse 31 that David's servant struck down 360 of Abner's men. 360. The victory over Abner would have been a really strong encouragement to the people of Judah and to David himself, as this is their first military, their first engagement against the other kingdom. And it kind of sets the tone of these two kingdoms. It sets the tone of the house of David and the house of Saul. Look at the, the first verse of chapter 3. It says, There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. So this kind of sets the trend for what's to come. It sets the, the pace for the rising up still of David and, and the weakening of, of the house of Saul. So after all the running and, and, and fighting, things are finally looking up for Israel. They're looking up for David. He's no longer on the run. He's on the offensive now, and he's trying to get back the kingdom that God has given him. So as, as for us, as we read this section of history, we can look at the hand of God carefully preserving David against all odds and preserving his people as a whole. See, David's preservation is so important because it's from the line of David that, that comes Jesus. And while we don't see much from David in this passage, where we looked back at the beginning, where we saw him inviting Jabesh Gilead to come and join his kingdom, we see a picture of Christ. Jesus says, come and join me. Come and be a part of my kingdom. There's an invitation there uh, for all who would accept. And on the one hand, you have Judah. You have people who accepted that, who made 
uh, David king. That would be Christians who have accepted Christ to be their king. And on the other hand, you have the rest of Israel who, maybe not by choice in, in the case of David, but doesn't submit to David's authority. But they one day will submit. One day they're going to be uh, knowing that David is king. Those are those who reject Jesus today, but will one day bow down. Will one day know that, that, that Jesus is Lord and that, that, that God is king. But it will be too late. There will only be judgment. And let's not neglect what we can learn from Abner. We can learn a lot from Abner here in this passage. Abner was a man who knew the right thing to do. He knew that God had anointed David, but refused to submit to his authority. Del Ralph Davis puts it like this. He says, Abner is not far from any one of us. We share an Abner nature that harbors sin, stupidity, perversity, and twistedness. Let Abner preach to you. Let him tell you that it is possible to know the truth, but not embrace the truth. To quote the truth, but not submit the truth. To hold the truth, and yet assault the truth. Today you have heard truth spoken from God's Word. If you have a Bible in your hands, you're holding the truth, like Deroff Davis said. And it, there's, there's a great truth in there, that Jesus has, has died for our sins if we put our trust in Him. So don't be Abner. Don't reject that truth. Don't, uh, don't fail to embrace it and to surrender to it. And if you already know that truth, and you already accept that truth, and you're part of God's kingdom, then don't be like a cell. Don't misuse your strengths and your God-given talents and your gifts for anything other than glorifying God. You have strengths that people in this church, in, in places they have weaknesses. And they'll, and they'll have strengths where you have weaknesses. So use those in a way that's glorifying to God, that uplifts the church. So let your gifts be used for God to, to, to fill in those gaps where weaknesses are and, and to, to grow His church and His people. In a moment, we'll have a, a hymn of invitation. Uh, and this is your chance to respond to God's Word. Let us pray. Lord, I thank You for, again, for this time that we have had now to, to look at Your Word. I pray that You would let us to, to not be like Abner, to know this truth about You, dear God, but to reject it, or to, to just go along with it and act like we, we really have it when we don't, dear God. So I pray that you would let us to, to be convicted uh, that we would fully submit to you, dear God, and that we would fully trust in your Son for salvation, dear God, not just in knowledge of him, but in, in belief and, and trust and, and the changing of our lives, dear God, to, to follow Jesus. Uh, and we also don't want to be like a sailor, dear God, who misused gifts that you had given him. So we pray that you would let us to, to use our strengths in a way that's glorifying to you, uh, and that would uh, uplift your people and that would uh, uplift and glorify you and uplift this church, dear God. So all these things we pray in your gracious and holy name. Amen.